0: Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston, here at the place where we drill deep into the world of oil, which can't come out of the ground unless you drill for it. We also drill deep into an issue of the week for this week. We've got Chris O'Brien of CH Robinson. Chris is going to talk to us about a new partnership they announced this week with a big data provider called SAS, or called SAS, actually, is the way you pronounce it. We wrote about it this week in Freightways. It's a complex but very interesting story. Robinson and SAS are calling their partnership revolutionary as they try to blow away silos in the supply chain that slow down efficient delivery and create unnecessary costs. Chris will be with us in a couple of minutes. Let's talk for now, though, about diesel prices this week for the 10th consecutive week. The DOE EIA weekly average retail price went up. It hasn't risen 10 weeks in a row in about eight and a half years. So you get a sense that we are in a seriously monumental move. We're up now to 262. The jump in prices is now about 30 cents per gallon since November. As far as what's driving it, it's getting a little harder to pinpoint specific things in the diesel market. The fact is, diesel has not risen at a faster rate than crude for several weeks now, and its spread to crude remains somewhat weak by historical levels. You would have thought that all this good news about vaccines would boost diesel before crude, because remember, when the world first heard reports of the coronavirus coming out of China, the first market that took a hit was jet fuel, because the assumption back then, correct obviously, was that air travel would plummet. So now with the possibility of jet travel getting off the ground sometime in the foreseeable future, it would stand to reason that all the distillates like jet fuel and diesel would get a boost. But that has not happened on its own. Diesel is pretty much riding the crude train up at this point. And the crude train in turn is riding a broad across the board surge in asset prices and commodity prices. There are multi-year highs in all sorts of commodities like copper, which is always considered a bellwether commodity. It's got the nickname of Dr. Copper because it's so good at diagnosing strength or weakness uh, in the uh, world global uh, world, world economy. The price of liquefied natural gas in Asia, helped along by a cold winter, is absolutely insane. It's up by almost 1,000% since its pandemic lows. Crude is boosted by that, as well as the fact that most balances show crude supply and demand out of balance, with inadequate supply to meet rising demand going out into 2021, the strange thing about diesel markets is what is going on with the month-to-month spreads. This may sound like, you know, a very uh, small world, uh, only the kind of thing a trader is concerned with, but they're, they're they reveal a lot about the strength or weakness of a market. When a market is tight, the relationship between months down the curve will down the curve. Excuse me, down the calendar curve. We'll move into a structure known as backwardation, where each month going out the curve is cheaper. When the market has lots of inventory, it will do the opposite. Ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME commodity exchange last summer saw a spread between the front month and the 12-month price as high as $0.45. That's the year-out price being $0.45 more than the current price. That is an enormously big gap compared to normal markets. As I record this now... That spread is down to less than two cents. Academic theory will tell you that that is a sign of tightening inventories. But here's the thing. There are some other numbers that are saying they're not tightening. We've talked before here that the easiest way to understand inventories is not just by the the month-to-month spreads, but also by the statistics on day's cover, because it's a number that's kind of very easily understandable. Uh, Day's cover is the amount of demand that could be met by existing inventories if production suddenly ceased. That number was over 50 days uh, over the summer for several weeks. So, again, that was unprecedented. It then dropped as low as 30 to as low as 36 to 37 days. But now it's moving higher again, and it's well over 40. It's not crazy high compared to historical norms. This is the type of year when you expect to have higher distillate inventories. Distillate includes diesel as well as heating oil. So, you know, you figure you're going to get higher heating oil inventories this time of year. Um, but uh, and but Bloomberg had a terrific story by a reporter named Jeff Baer, who I know, about how exports to places like South Africa from the U.S. are faltering, and that's leading to the bigger builds in inventories that we saw in the statistics this week. But at the same time, that spread we talked about continues to narrow. Given the data we have on inventories that should not be happening yet, it is. Traders will tell you that those sorts of spreads are far better indicators on the true nature of the market than some statistical report, which always is going to have flaws. So in terms of diesel inventory, you've got two things pointing different ways. You've got statistics that say diesel inventories are tightening, and you've got got markets that say they're, excuse me, you've got (laughs) market-to-market spreads that say they're tightening, and then you've got statistical reports that say they're building. But for somebody filling their truck, that's all secondary. What you do have is a market that has continued to march higher. Ever since Monday, when the latest price was posted from DOE, the retail price is higher still, according to the data in FreightWave's sonar dashboard. That points to next week being the 11th consecutive week for an increase. Those increases may get deflated at some time in the future. They probably will. But we don't know. we don't know if they are getting higher because the market is telling us something different from the data. It might be that the biggest factor right now is to not worry about this stuff and just assume that diesel is going to get higher on the surging level of commodities that are many, many markets are all busting through multi-year highs. We are going to shift focus now here on Drilling Deep, and we're going to speak with Chris O'Brien. He is the chief commercial officer for 3PLCH Robinson. They had a very big announcement this week. Chris, first of all, thank you for taking time to come in, especially given that you're on your vacation. So.
1: No so we, problem, John. Thanks a lot for having me.
0: So, Chris, you and I spoke earlier this week for a story that I did write for Freight Waves about a very fascinating new initiative between you and a company called SAS. So they pronounce themselves a SAS, which is a I guess I would describe them as a uh, provider of data services, software with a, that analyzes data. And the key word in the press release that I found is one that sometimes gets overused in this business, but it's important and that word is silos. And you see a lot of silos in the supply chain. Your initiative with SAS is aimed at getting rid of silos in the retail sector, or at least the transportation sector as it as it services retail. So why don't you give a little description of what you're going to do here and how does it get rid of those silos?
1: Sure, John. I think, I think attacking silos is a good way to, to talk about this. It's also about attacking waste. And uh, when we started talking to SAS uh, it started with a uh, Richard Winnowson there who is a former Robinson customer he leads their retail practice uh, and kn- knows a lot about Robinson we were getting to know about SAS so throughout this you know the past year we really you know focused on what are some of the biggest problems we thought we could tackle in supply chain and using their strength of you know in data from a demand standpoint you know they sell besides Besides all their data, they sell a lot of tools on merchandising and demand planning and forecasting, and you could consider that that's a silo at our customer. This is aimed at the retailer and the CPGs that sell through retailers, so an enormous marketplace, $35 around the world, and on the other end is the people that plan the transportation, and those silos, in our view, uh, connect generally at one time when it's when they do an annual bid. And from that point, they really don't get back together very much. So we wanted to change that. So it's bringing SAS's tools that are on the front end of that, the C.H. Robinson tools, which is, you know, more data on truckload than anyone else in North America, great tools in procurement and how to tweak your bid and fine tune it. We wanted to bring those two things together to solve a lot of challenges that our common customers had been talking to us about for years. And, And that is taking waste out of that system.
0: Right. So the so the kind of information that so let's take it from, let's say, the perspective of a fleet. Uh, I know how this is going to affect retailers. Is it from a perspective of a fleet? Are they going to benefit at all from that? This?
1: Yeah. All the carriers should benefit from this. So, you know, one of the things that we think we can drive a lot of savings for is in transportation rates. Uh, Again, uh, if carriers so. Finding out that there's more freight available than they had planned for in that annual bid, you know, three, six, nine months ago, is not the carrier's preferred state either. They would rather have known up in advance. Now the problem is a shipper can't tell. A lot of things change in the meantime, and that's what SAS is bringing to the marketplace: is instantly knowing what's going on with demand. And you know, they're doing all kinds of things, looking at this, you know, the manufacturer's previous you know, cyclical history, trends, they're monitoring things that are going on. So that, that's what they already do for our customers. We tie that into our tools and processes. And we feel like what we'll be able to do is reduce the reliance on that big annual process. And that helps a fleet. It helps a core carrier, a dedicated carrier, because they are going to get better updating on they don't have to guess as much going into the year. If they, if, So we think we can help a customer, one, keep a little bit of freight out of that annual process or still do the annual process, but with this new ability to tweak it constantly. And again, one of the things that we've identified as a way that we can drive savings is make you go to your secondary carriers less, make you go to the open spot market even less. Again, the carriers would rather have that planned freight. And they'd rather not have to guess what's going to happen for a whole year. We're going to allow the customer to take a timeout when things are changing, either on the Robinson monitor tools, you know, supply and demand changes in transportation, or the tools that SAS brings in. And especially when those two points of data are pointing to the same problem, a large drop-off or a large pickup in freight. We'll be able to get that down to the lane level and to the carrier level and say, hey, Carrier. Would you like, this is changing. This is going to change next week. Would you like to rebid this? Can you handle this uh, in a dynamic environment before the carrier, the customer has to find out that something went wrong, that it went to the third or fourth carrier that would rather be having that, that they would rather have planned freight as well. So we just really opening up that window instead of looking at it annually or quarterly mini bids, taking advantage of the technology that's out there.
0: Yeah, the 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 word I think you use in there, you, you said a lot there, but the word that really jumped out at me was constantly, and the idea here being that the 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 SaaS tools. The, the, from the carrier side, will constantly update them about their needs, about you know, more 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 demand for shipping uh, services coming up, uh, less demand for shipping services coming up. So, particularly in the case where there's more demand, they see that coming rather than suddenly being shocked by it, and they don't necessarily have to turn to the spot market. They can plan for it a lot better. So, to me, that we, we you know we, we've spoken now t- twice in two two days, I think about this and constantly is a good description of how this works.
1: Yeah that exactly the data is already there and available constantly sas's tools help a customer every day with constant updates our data changes you know to the hour to the minute what's going on in supply and demand for transportation What we've done here with the industry first is trying to attack this problem in a new way by bringing these two sources of data together. Now, a customer might say, I don't want to deal with all of this constantly. I want to relook at my allocations after this threshold, or I want to look at it weekly, or I want to look at it constantly, but I don't want to go back and talk to my carriers every day. So as we continue to socialize this with our common customers, they've each had a little bit of a a different view on how, how much they want to, when they want to go back to carriers, because that's not something you want to do every day or every week.
0: Well, now you said you're common customers, but um, there are some customers I'm sure that you don't have that are common. Are you envisioning where you would go out to that customer uh, that you're, that's yours and they might go to a customer that's theirs, even though that might not be yours, they might not be any overlap?
1: Absolutely. You know, John, we, we started with our common customers as we socialized this. And we were pretty sure, you know, especially based on their expertise in retail, it's a big part of our business. Retail and CPG is you know, close to half of our business today. We were pretty sure we were onto something because these are challenges that are pretty well known in, in, in the industry. Uh, they, um, they so we, we just started by bouncing it off a couple of our bigger common customers who had expressed interest in something like this and uh, but no this will apply to we'll you know we're proactively going to a, you know our, our customers you know we're starting in retail we think it applies to every other industry these are these are common challenges we wanted to start it you know one of the largest industries out there and and also an industry that does a lot in demand planning and you know merchandising that you know, obviously the the CPG companies and you know, spend a lot of time in that space. So it was another natural place to start, but uh, we we don't have share uh, obviously a, a common customer list. And as we continue to expand, we think that these will be some new opportunities for SaaS and some new opportunities uh, for CH Robinson from a customer standpoint. Right.
0: I mean, I guess I'm trying to envision this the way it would be structured. So, let's say you have a retailer A, and they're a really loyal CH Robinson customer, and uh, they've got a uh, uh, there's a there's Unless they're a fleet owner. Okay. So you've got a retailer that is a big customer of theirs, uh, you know, put together by C.H. Robinson. And maybe that retailer is uh, driving them crazy, you know, whether the shipper is driving them crazy with uncertainty, with volatility. Um, I guess you could imagine where the, where the fleet would say to C.H. Robinson, look, will you please go sign them up on this SAS system, on this SAS system, because it would make for a lot more stability, a lot more base of knowledge. Is that the way this might work? And Because I guess as, I'm, as you're talking, I'm realizing you kind of need two together here to make this work.
1: For sure. It, really, that could be a way that it continues to develop. We think we built something here that will be a, at a value to the shipper, to the manufacturer of the goods, the consumer products company. We're talking to retailers together also within these, you know, even our initial pilot customers that we've talked to about this. Some of them are, are retailers. So we think it helps them as well. Again, it is it's trying to take out waste and and getting food and product on the shelf and making sure that there's, you know, you avoid lost sales. That's a benefit to the retailer. That's a benefit to the consumer, the product, consumer products company. And it's a benefit to the carrier to have better planned freight in the middle of those two things.
0: Yeah. You did talk in, uh, I guess, in your, in your presentation, you've got a, There's a video out there that you did for a big retail, the big national retail federation meeting that's being held this week virtually. Um, I thought that was a very good video, a good uh, summary of everything that's going on. You talked about kind of four buckets, that you felt would be vastly improved by this. Uh, one of them, the first one, I'll ask you to you know, kind of try to sum it up in, in a few, uh, you know, 20, 30 seconds, improving levels of service, which will save shippers money when retailers hit them up for charges on inaccurate and incorrect shipments. And, to be, and I will tell you that that's not your words. Those are the words that I wrote in the FreightWave story about it. But uh, can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yes, certainly. So I I talked about trying to avoid unplanned freight or unplanned carriers. The very worst thing that can happen if you uh, don't have this well planned out, if you don't have this this connected loop that we're building is you simply don't have a truck available. Uh, So we're going to avoid that. And that is, I've talked about um, uh, OTIF fines or fines from retailers to the consumers for not having, you know, not having delivered in time uh, or not having delivered in in full. And uh, again, that is a service improvement. Two things. You're improving your service to the retailer in this case. And those fines are not what the retailer wants. Again, it's not their preferred state. They'd rather have the product on time so that they can go sell it. We feel like we're going to help both the retailer and the consumer products company get to what you want, which is eliminating the problem upfront by better planning and that's service. And it's also a large savings by taking those fine, you know, instead of replace fines with product on the shelf and replace lost sales with sales.
0: Yeah. And then kind of to the point of savings, uh, keeping down the carrying cost of inventory just because if you've got a better knowledge base of what you need, what's going out the door, what's coming in, uh, in through the dock. Uh, you can keep those inventory numbers in check.
1: Correct. Each of the buckets that we're uh, attacking here have a dollar amount of savings with them. That that service one does. Inventory, there's a certain amount of inventory that's just built into the equation for the types of uncertainties that we think we can help you eliminate. Not eliminate all safety stock, but bring that level down. The other Uh, component of savings is that I would say is that the transportation itself, spending less in that spot market.
0: Right now. You, and, and that was my third point was the spot market. And you already talked about that earlier. And then the fourth bucket, you made a re- reference to it all uh, earlier also about what you were, you know, what you called a long annual process. So uh, it was interesting. You said that, you know, you've got a, an annual kind of one time uh, process sometimes to do to procure shipping for a year and it takes you six months to get ready for it.
1: Yeah, I think six months, but my example on six months is probably on the long end, but we've had customers that tell us this is a cumbersome process to get all the planning ready to uh, identify what we think we want to put into the bid. Now, not every shipper does it just annually. Some supplement that with quarterly mini bids, but those are usually happening when something's gone wrong from that plan. And it says something about how much time and energy and effort, but we think we can reduce your reliance on that annual cycle and if you're you know 6 months is a lot of time it's, some of the first customers we talked to about this have said this is this is a big area so yes it's an efficiency gain through that efficiency gain if your people are spending less time on an annual bid because you know that you've got now this connected loop and you'll be able to dynamically replan and keep carriers happy and keep your customers happy you're also spending less time on those things. Now, what you recapture that value from, it's an efficiency piece, but I would say that there's a dollar amount associated with spending less time on a cumbersome process. Yeah.
0: Uh, when I was writing this story, I found that I was reaching for words. I, I, I looked back on our interview and I looked at your press release and I didn't really find the word that best described what this is. Is it a partnership? I, I don't think it's a joint venture because that's kind of a very formal term, a cooperative agreement. I mean, t- tell us what how you're describing it internally and, and what each side brings to the table. And you have touched on that, but uh, maybe you can sum it up.
1: Yeah, I think the interesting part of that, John, is we're using things that we already do today. And we're combining our... It's It's not just one big app that we're putting together here. These are the tools the data the processes and the expertise on both ends Sathlu and CH Robinson so we didn't have to create a new uh, joint venture for it we've called it a partnership but yes from a classic standpoint we haven't you know thrown in a bunch of equity because that didn't need to happen we have the commitment of leadership we think we found something new we've called it the demand driven supply chain uh, but we thought we're we're much more focused on what we're doing now to get our initial customers up and running. The The cool thing is that n- neither company had to build anything new to make this happen. It was just connecting these from a services standpoint into something new.
0: What was the genesis of this? Somebody had to first, uh, the light bulb had to go off in their head um, and uh, and say, you know what, we should probably work together. How did that come about?
1: Yeah, I would say it's a couple of things. C.H. Robinson, we've been focusing more on strategic partnerships and ways that we can extend our platform into new and creative uses. So take what we know about transportation, the execution, the data, the procurement, and find ways that we can plug it in system to system to other companies' business models. So we had that openness. Um, I can't recall exactly what the very first conversation uh, was, but we have two former customers uh, that went to SaaS and one of them, a retailer, Richard, uh, ended up uh, leading their retail business practice, if you will. And we just started talking over the, you know, really over a course of a year about what could we do together. It helped that one, he knows retail so well. And two, we both companies have a lot of common customers in retail. So it didn't take us too long through these conversations to say, there's just something here Uh, This is just the beginning. We quickly zeroed in on, you know, taking waste out of the transportation procurement department by making it more real time and dynamic and connecting demand. But there's a lot of different things. You know, both companies have hundreds and hundreds of services uh, that they provide uh, and a lot of common customers. So, one, this will expand beyond retail, but both companies being open and driven to finding creative solutions, I think we'll find things beyond Transportation and procurement that we could do, you know, with, with yeah, our I mean, solutions.
0: That was my next question. You said this is going to expand beyond retail. I mean, it's very early on this, but you do view this as scalable.
1: Yes, yeah. Both companies have you know thought through this a lot and said let let's start here, and and but let's keep going.
0: So, what a kind of what a, first of all, two, two questions. What other companies are there out there like that, like SAS, like SAS, number one, and number two, what are some of SAS's other strengths? Are they, you know, other markets, other industries where they're particularly active with a significant data flow?
1: I don't think I'm qualified to answer that question. You know, SAS is a leader in AI and analytics across the board. They're, you know, in in my view, the largest in this space, but I I don't, you know, exactly know. They are the leader though in in these areas. They're a a tremendous leader in the retail space in particular, but retail is one of many different industry verticals that they focus in. And I believe, you know, a large part of their organization is, is structured in, but, uh, from my perspective, at least, they're one of the biggest and the best in this space. And that's why I think this partnership made sense. We found two leaders uh, to get together. But I you know, I, I, don't know. Um, there are other providers of merchandising tools and forecasting and demand planning tools. You know, not exactly my space, but I, I, I would leave that to them. But I see them as the leader uh, and certainly one of the biggest in, in all those markets.
0: So you announced it this week in part because of the uh, the big National Retail Federation meeting that I mentioned earlier. Uh, when are customers going to hear about this? Uh, you, you've announced it to the world. Are your marketing and salespeople already out there with the customers uh, trying to introduce them to this concept and get them to sign on?
1: Yes. You know, we started talking to customers before the announcement. We wanted to vet this out and make sure that we were onto something uh, that our customers were going to sign up for. That response uh, as we started to socialize it with a couple was you know, like, hell yes, let's keep going. Uh, there's there's big, big dollars here in each of those buckets. It's going to vary by, I would say by customer, but uh, of course. But um, we have trained our sales force. They are ready to go. Um, NRF is a big event uh, for SaaS in particular. And so that drove the timing on the announcement. Uh, both companies uh, are getting tons and tons of inquiries from uh, from that launch, um, everyone we talked to, the the concepts uh, and the ways that we're driving savings are really quite tangible, right? This is not a theoretical approach to it, and and it's one that um, you know there's been a lot written about. There's been companies that have said that they can take down the time. You know, I, I've even had you know competitors talk about the fact that. The annual bid process will completely go away. You know, perfect digital freight matching will make, you know, annual contracting or any contracting uh, unnecessary. And that didn't happen. And we think that didn't happen because nobody's made this, this connection before.
0: Yeah, sounds like a bit of a pipe dream that uh, digital is always going to work that perfect, maybe way, way, way in the future, but certainly not anytime now. So uh, we want to thank Chris O'Brien, the Chief Commercial Officer for C.H. Robinson, for joining us here today on Drilling Deep. Chris, uh, hope we can have you back someday.
1: Thanks, John. really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. We're excited.
0: So you've been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can find us on all the major platforms for podcasts. So we hope you'll sign up and subscribe. I've been your host, John Kingston. Please join us again.